HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Did you know that Wisconsin wins more national and international cheese awards than any other state or country? To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. Hello and welcome to Cutting the Curd on the Heritage Radio Network. This is your host, Greg Blaze. Today I'm joined by an old friend and frequent guest, Carlos Yescas. Carlos is a self-titled food advocate and social enterprise consultant. And among many other endeavors, Carlos is the program director of the Old Ways Cheese Coalition, a nonprofit organization promoting and protecting artisan cheeses and traditional cheese-making practices. Welcome to the show, Carlos. How are you today? Hi, Greg. How are you? I'm all right, man. You know, I uh, had a pair of shorts on and a T-shirt on my stoop yesterday on Easter, and it was awesome. And then I woke up this morning, and it was snowing, and I just wanted to shoot myself. I really, really did. Really did. So that's how I'm doing. How about you? Yeah, um, we're freezing here in the Midwest. Uh, It's cold again. It hasn't gotten warm. Um, But there's no snow, so at least that's a thing going for us. (laughs) Yeah, this will be all gone by today. But it's all right, because I'm here at Roberta's, and I'm going to talk to you about cheese, which I love to do. And one of the things I wanted to talk to you about um, is Raw Milk Appreciation Day. Uh, Raw Milk Appreciation Day is happening on April 21st, and the Old Ways Cheese Coalition is the driving force behind this global celebration of traditional cheese making. This will be the third annual official celebration, I believe, Carlos. Is that correct? It's the fourth. The fourth? Yeah. Oh, man. And I'm behind, and and I'm terrible. (laughs) Uh, Can you tell us a bit about what's happening as a part of this celebration and how our listeners can participate? Sure. We are putting the biggest event ever. Uh, We have now 18 countries participating uh, with celebrations. And so it goes from everything you can imagine. There's cheese stores doing samplings. There's cheesemakers doing tours of their farms. Uh, There's restaurants putting uh, whole menus with raw milk cheeses. Um, There's bloggers that are 
you know, featuring raw milk cheeses in their blogs the entire month. There's a lot of things happening. We're we're so so excited. Not only because it's happening everywhere, but it's also because more and more people are are doing it, and more and more people are like interested in joining, sort of in the industry side. But then, what is so fantastic is that, you know, the people that love cheese uh, are seeing it as you know this one event that you know they can use to go in and talk to their cheesemonger or talk to the server at the restaurant and, and learn a little bit more about a cheese that maybe they don't know, maybe they feel very intimidated asking, and so this is a sort of like entrance to something, and so um, we have a, a lot of that excitement for that. Um, so that's really fun. As you said, this is the fourth time that we're doing it, and um, by the fifth, which will be next year, uh, then we can apply for you know one of those fancy titles for... Um, that the UN gives us an official Ooh. food holiday, and that will be a very big deal. That'll be awesome. I mean, so obviously, my my stupid question to you was going to be: Does this help? Can you feel uh, this making a difference and putting out awareness? Amongst the masses, because I feel like, you know, amongst cheesemongers, especially um, cheesemongers have been around for a little while. We've we've gone through up the ups and downs of selling raw milk cheese. It used to be really cool to sell raw milk cheese back when I was a, you know, as a youngster. And, um, and people uh, were interested in having the things that maybe they weren't supposed to have or that were sort of taboo and they really wanted it. And then most recently, you know, we, we've gotten getting a little bit scared of our food. So, you know, we get the, the sort of back end of that where people are like, oh, this is raw milk. Are you sure that's safe? And um, so hopefully you guys and um, and we all are going to bring ourselves into a, a, a place where people are more aware but understand the benefits of raw milk cheese. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I, I think the cool part about this event is that because uh, at the beginning we made it so open and so, yeah. you know, we didn't come in with an agenda of this is the thing that needs to happen, this is the thing that everyone needs to be doing. Uh, it has really allowed for people to take ownership of the event. And so, you know, for example, right now there's a big um, situation in South Africa where there's uh-huh. a lot of um, listeria not related to cheese but related to other food products, and there, there's people that have been sick. And so they're using this opportunity to really talk about how uh, raw milk cheeses are safe and, you know, there's a track record for... Um, this type of cheese making that is safe, um, and so there, the people down in South Africa are really using this opportunity to talk to their consumers about uh, the benefits of raw milk cheese. And what so are those? Are, just sorry. on the just just on the quick, just for listeners who who this is their first time, you know, the the five people who listen to the show who don't you know know of our fight for raw milk cheese. What are you putting out there that are the benefits of raw milk cheese that this uh, that this event you know? that this sure. event puts out there? So we, we think of this in sort of two aspects, right? One, um, one set of aspects is all cultural, uh, sort of economic and social and political. And then other set of benefits that are um, more related to health and right. our well-being. And I think if we understand it as a complete holistic idea, then you see why raw milk cheese is important. If we want to just say it's good for, you know, for your microbiome and that kind of thing, 
you know, you may get lost some people because they're like, mm, this sounds like, you know, weird science. Exactly. And I don't really want to pay attention. Sure. And if you go only for the sort of like, this is traditional and this is the only way to do it, then you lose the people that are interested in, in you know, in their actual health. So, so there's a combination of those two things. But these are like at least three things that we um, want to say that people will understand about uh, raw milk cheese. Uh, and I said they're a little bit uh, more complicated than just raw milk cheese is good. So the first one is that cows and goats and sheep that are fed um, grass, that are grass-fed, you know, they're out eating, um, their milk has a higher percentage of uh, omega-3 fatty acids. Okay. So if you're not pasteurizing that milk, that remains the same. Um, and then, you know, you have a cheese that has these fatty acids that you want. So you can decide to have it in your cheese or you can decide to have it in supplements. You know, omega-3s are good for um, oxidation of, sure. uh, of yourself. Um, another one that we want to say always is that the raw milk that is used to make raw milk cheese is um, has a balance of calcium, magnesium, and potassium that is good for heart disease, you know, to prevent heart disease. And so, you know, that's also uh, one of those things that we want people to kind of understand that milk that is um, being produced specifically to make raw milk cheese uh-huh. is milk that is of a higher quality. And that is what the peer review science says, that if you're making raw milk cheese, you're paying attention to your milk way more. And then that's when it comes uh, to this sort of cultural perspective, an like economist perspective, right. that producers that are making raw milk cheeses are paying attention a lot to feed and a lot of, like, you know, how long their cows or their sheep and goats are producing milk, um, you know, a more gentle approach to animal husbandry. And so I think that that's also really important. But also about the stewardship of the land. So right. it's not only that you're taking care of the animals, but you're really taking care of the grass, the soil, the, the microbial communities that exist in the soil that are producing good grass that then, you know, the, the, the cows... Uh, and, you know, the other animals eat. And so then you end up with something that is um, more um, sort of complete. And, you know, we're not sure how does that translate, how a healthy, you know, microscopic community at the soil level translates into a cheese that is better. But before we go and give it up, let's just try to figure out why it's working. Sure. And that's also what we're trying to you know, bringing the scientists and bringing the peer review uh, knowledge to say, okay, there's something here. Let's make sure that we're paying attention to this as well. Um, I, I, so that's the sort of combination of things that we always want to talk about. There's, a, there's something that I always uh, say as a cheesemonger or that I've been saying for a long time, and I wonder if you guys incorporate it into, um, into your, your basic message of Rommelk Appreciation Day, which is what is pasteurization and why did it come about? Do you, do you know? It was, I, I've always taught the cheesemongers that have worked underneath me, and I've always briefly been trying to educate the customers, is pasteurization is a reaction to a specific set of circumstances. Um, that existed in the world at the time um, in France, right? The, that Louis Pasteur and Marie Curie 
developed to fight the, you know, the horrible conditions um, in, in France at the time. That's correct, is it not? Yeah, definitely. And I think what is interesting is also that, you know, pasteurization, um, when it gets applied in the United States, you know, the first place that passes a legislation to pasteurize milk is the city of Chicago, and then, you know, the city of New York, and then Boston, is really because you have moved people that were in rural communities, you know, and their cows were, you know, out and um, eating pasture or, you know, they were part right. of a sort of integrated farming system. Exactly. And then what happens is that these people end, end up moving to cities with their cows uh, or their animals, and they're now producing milk in cities. And you know, those conditions were filthy. They were Terrible. just not the good conditions. And so, of course, the, the, the way that milk was being procured was not the best one. So it wasn't necessarily that the milk was contaminated, but the but this the spaces around it were not the best uh, right. quality to, to produce that. You know, that has been 180 years since that change. We're in a very different situation now. You know, no one has cows in, you know, in the middle of New York. Not that I know of. Them to make cheese, that we know of, of course. And, uh, <laughs> and so it, a lot of the things have changed. Science in the last, at least the last 30 years have moved really fast. Uh, we can look at many other things happening um, at the microbial level, but also at the sort of health uh, benefits, how we understand health of the human body and the food that we're eating. And so we want to think about, you know, pasteurization is definitely a thing that should be uh, utilized. We're not here to say let's not pasteurize anything. We just need to know why? that if you're producing good milk, right. why do you, you may need not to need do it? pasteurize it. But at the same time, I think that that decision has to be on the cheese-making side. The cheese-maker has to be the one making that decision. They know better than anyone else what is the quality of their I agree. And I think that what I've always uh, what I've what I've taught people when they've asked me is that pasteurization now allows for milk of unknown origin to come in to a facility be cooked and then sort of cleaned or, you know, flash pasteurized and then turned into a cheese or cream cheese or processed cheese or whatever. And that's, um, that's, be, that's a manipulation of the original reasons for pasteurization. Um, and would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. And I think that, you know, uh, today we don't know if the milk that um, the cow is producing is going to end up in cheese or is going to end up in yogurt or right. going to end up in ice cream. And so... If you're if you're pasteurizing and combining, uh, you know, pulling all this milk from all these cows into one, you know, it really doesn't make sense to keep that product uh, in the in the in this raw capacity. And actually, it makes sense to pasteurize it. But I does... also think one of the things that we normally don't talk about uh, when you know, when we're with the customers in the cheese counter, but it's one of those things that we're always thinking at the coalition, is that this is actually an economic response to, a com to the commodities market. Exactly. Right? When, when milk goes into the commodity, then it cannot get separated, the production at the farm level, to the price of milk in the Chicago Mercantile yep. Exchange, right? And so that becomes then this sort of problem of bringing Wall Street into uh, our lives and then 
it gets disrupted into anything um, that it touches. You know, this is not specific to milk. This is happening in, you know, the, the seafood industry. This is happening in meat. This is happening, you know, happening in gas and oil. You know, whenever sort of like the interest of the market capitalizations enter this discussion, then the systems really get out of whack. And really, they do. With these situations that, you know, are very difficult to deal with. That's how I see it. I mean, that's that's... In a, in a way, when, when customers have asked me, like, why do I want to buy raw milk cheese? And I say, well, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. In the beginning, cheese was, was made to preserve the, preserve the milk. Pasteurization is a reaction, like you say, to, uh, to filthy circumstances. We are not living in that age anymore. And now it's being used by, you know, by economics to be able to sell you a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of shitty milk for a really cheap price and turn it into whatever they want while, you know, legislating against the good stuff. And I think that that's really dangerous because it threatens the food system. And, uh, you know, that's what we're all here to protect. Right, my man? That's correct. I don't know if um, you have watched this, uh, the episode on milk uh, on the series Rotten. No, I, I have not. It the other night and it was, you know, it's like, is everything that we talk about in the coalition about cheese, but of course they're talking about it in milk. And I think it makes a good argument for, like, the terrible situation that uh, dairy producers are right now in the United States, that, you know, they're competing with global markets for milk, and, you know, there's an incentive to produce uh, at a very cheap level, right. uh, and that pushes them to produce at a... At a quality, at a quality that you know you have to end up pasteurizing. So it ends up being, you know, the best response for a problem that we created to begin with. It's, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. It we, well, you and I could go down the rabbit hole of that, and uh, you know, and probably come out the other side. We could talk for an hours and hours about it, but we're gonna have to take a short break, um, and then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk to Carlos. Um, about some things that are going on. Carlos is plugged into the world of cheese. And when I mean, when I say that, I mean like the world, this big, big round disc that we're, uh, we're all living on that's spinning around. He's going to talk to us about some cheeses and things that are happening in cheese in other parts of the world. So stay with us. We'll, we'll be right back with Carlos. Today's program was brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. What do you think of when you hear Wisconsin Cheese? For me, I think cheese curds, delicious, fresh and squeaky cheese curds, or deep fried cheese curds. Cheese curds literally any way, any time, any place. I think about Andy Hatch and Upland's Cheese, the farmstead cheese company behind Pleasant Ridge Reserve. I think of delicious, stinky Limburger and its long storied history. I think of Dunbarton Blue, made by master cheesemaker Chris Raleigh. I think of Ross Grand Cru Searchois, which was named 2016's World Championship Cheese, and Satori's Black Pepper Bella Vitano, the 2017 U.S. Championship Cheese. Wisconsin produces the world's best cheese with lush grasslands and a glacial water supply that produce the very best milk. Fourth-generation cheesemakers combine old-world tradition with new ideas and the highest standards to make innovative cheeses that win more awards than any other state or country. To learn more, visit wisconsincheese.com.
Welcome back to Cutting the Curd, broadcasting live in the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Greg Blaze here with Carlos Yescas of the Old Ways Cheese Coalition, and we're talking about raw milk cheese. Uh, Carlos, you're pretty plugged into the global, global regulations as they relate to cheese. I'm hoping you can give us a sort of roundup of news on the status of raw milk cheese around the world. Let's start with the cheese capital of the world in France. Uh, there's a bit of a David versus Goliath issue happening among camembert producers in Normandy. Uh, and it seems that lately Goliath has been given a leg up. France's Institute of Origin recently announced that starting in 2021, a single AOP Normandy label will encompass both the artisan raw milk versions and the industrially produced pasteurized camembert. Is this the end of French camembert as we know it, Carlos? Yes. And Why? Oh. And the really sad thing about this is that um, there's not more of an outrage. Yeah, it's, it's you know, kind of BS. The problem with, with losing camembert like this is that, you know, camembert for so long has served as this sort of like um, ultimate test of what uh, raw milk uh, meant. I right? agree. We already knew that big, there was big production of this type of cheese in France by big producers, but there was this small bastion of producers that were still holding on. And they're so they're, good. They're yeah, so they're good. they're still there, but, you know, losing, losing this battle means a lot. Um, you know, symbols matter, and here is where we just lost one of those symbols. I agree. It's 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 such BS. It's it's just part of the homogenization of our world, and I think it's just total garbage. I mean, like you say, symbols do matter. Things like that do matter. It, it's they're not the same thing. So why should we call them the same thing? I feel like that sort of that sort of thing is one of the reasons why we lost, uh, like we lost the cheese reblochon for the same type of reason. And it's like we just just became impossible to give it that green stamp anymore. Would you agree? I agree. I think I think having lost this cheese sort of heralds a a, a transformation uh, of dairy industry in France that will be followed by Italy and Spain. And unfortunately, there is very little that um, is happening on on the sort of consumer side in in those places that is fighting against it. And, you know, many times uh, we feel the coalition that, you know, we go into talk to producers in France or consumers in France or cheese stores, and, you know, we go on with this sort of very, you know, our crazy stance from the United States that is like, we need to defend it. And the response is always like, oh, that's not going to happen here. Well, guess what? It, it happens. happens to you first. It always happens. Every time it happens. Yeah, well, you know... Uh, but on the other side of the world, it seems good news is coming out of Brazil. Can you tell us a bit about what's happening um, on the regulatory side of things there? I met, I just wanted to come, I met with this amazing woman in Bra, and I got a tiny uh, in, interview out of her, and I'm hoping you can hook me back up with her. Her name is Deborah. She was um, an advocate for, for raw milk producers in Brazil. She was either taking the, the makers to Hervé Mons caves or she was taking um, the people from Mons into Brazil and teaching the makers how to make mature raw milk cheese. Is this, uh, is this, um, is this working out for her there? And is that um, a part of what, what's happening on the good side of regulatory issues? Definitely. I think that uh, Deborah and others in Brazil are doing excellent work. Deborah um, works at the, uh, one of the universities in France. 
and she's also affiliated with the Mons Academy. Yeah, what's her full name? Where is that, sir? What's her full name? Uh, Deborah Pereira. Yeah, awesome lady, man. She's great, and she has been doing a lot. And there's also a very big contingency of Brazilian um, scientists that are doing this. And the and the woman that really deserves a lot of credit for this is Michelle Carvalho. Awesome. She is a um, scientist at the university in Santa Catarina, and she has been pushing for almost 10 years now for a regulation that would allow uh, small cheese producers to um, be certified by their sort of local um, uh, um, uh, supervisors. And that label, that, that stamp of approval, serve at the federal level. Um, in Brazil, they have a system that, you know, you need to be approved by the state and then the local and then the federal. And so what is Nobody gets right up making cheese that, there. It's, yeah. it's crazy. It's crazy. The, the, the labels are really crazy. But what they actually just had done uh, last week before they went for, for vacation um, was to have that law pass the first chamber of deputies at the federal level. Now is the Senate and the president has to sign it. But it looks like it's going to happen. And really, this is one of those battles that we won together That's great. by bringing the most information possible. So the first thing we did was to meet with the lawyers of the government and tell them these are the regulations from everywhere in the world. Instead of coming with one approach that this is to be the approach that you, that you give, it's like this is the law that is in the United States. This is what happens in, in, in England. And by giving them all that, they got a sense that this is a little bit more complicated than where we, that, what they thought and that they needed to come up with something that was really of their own. And sure. I think the best situation is that they went and asked their scientists to create, create a legislation that will serve them. And I think that is what was so successful about this campaign, that they really took ownership of this as a, as a way not only to help their producers, but also to use their knowledge uh, in, that is producing their universities to push this forward. I think it's great. What, 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 stand, what they stand to do as a result of this is make money. I mean, they can sustain in their way of far the way of farming life by this right i mean cheese adds value to the milk when we opened up at italy down in sao paulo it was virtually impossible to get any cheese in there you know because the laws are so prohibitive especially around raw milk cheeses so i mean i think that when you get the scientists to conv- convince the legislators through the activist that hey at the end of this at the end of all this is money and and money to go to the right places like to sustain farming sometimes people you know they wake up and and they um and they do the right thing i hope i mean i mean that's how i see it yeah i think so i think that this is going to happen we're very we're still paying attention because it hasn't gone to the senate but you feel good about we're it we're a little afraid that you know in the senate we we will lose this battle once you know, big dairy comes. As you know, Brazil is one of the biggest producers of, of milk and Huge. dairy products in the world. So, of course, there's a lot of people that don't want to see these kind of like uh, benefits for artisanal producers. We're putting, we're you know, we keep the pressure on, 
Uh, and you know, I hope that everyone that is listening and that follows us, you know, is ready to 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 you know to give their support to these people that have done something so amazing. And, and when if you... this happens, um, the the Brazilian Cheese Awards are happening um, in mid uh, summer, and that will be one of those uh, international events that will be so interesting because we will be able to see cheeses from everywhere in Brazil that people were just making in their local community. Yeah. They were maybe not sending to competition because they were like, there's no point of this. Sure. But now there's a point because they can now sell them. It's and I awesome. Think that's amazing. I, I think that, yeah, and that's, look, why, and here's something for our, for our listeners that maybe you can answer, like, why does the larger dairy industry fight against this? Why Why do they push back so hard? It's not like these guys are going to challenge the overall nature of 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 this, I guess you call it big dairy. They're not going to challenge that or topple that. What is the harm in letting these people create farmstead cheese? What's the scare for them? I think it's the same as in France. I, I think they, I think the... I think the consumer is knowledgeable, and the consumer that wants to understand and pay attention has information right there, right? And so this is the, the same situation as Camembert. Uh, they weren't happy with it being called Made in Normandy. They wanted to be said that it was from Normandy. And so they created this, like, new way in France that, you know, everything will be uh, of Normandy, and the, and the most authentic one will be now be called authentic one. Uh. So they, I think this is an, a, a big argument of, of dairy that you know, any appearance that there's something that may be better than them sort of come, puts into question their own production. People are so scared. Why pushing so hard. Yeah, so they just don't want to step up their game, basically. They're afraid that consumers, when they're smart, they're, they're going to want the good stuff, and they're going to have to, they're going to, have to start... Um, putting a little bit more money and a little bit more effort into making the good stuff, and they don't want to give up any of their cash, just like nobody else does either. Awesome. Yeah. People are greedy. But you know, but you know what is the, the good thing about this? Is that we, the consumers, control that. Yeah, we do. If we understand that and we are buying better products and we are demanding that this changes, it is, it is on our hands to change this. I agree. There's no, like, this is what is happening in the organic uh, this is what is happening with you know gluten free. Like the consumer, when the consumer demands, the industry pays attention and it changes because it is their business. They're, they, of course, there are always going to be a segment of the population that is going to eat whatever is put in front of yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, but there is an increasing awareness of what is happening uh, and and you know how to support producers. Also, I think that. The more that we consume locally yeah. uh, of things that are of our regions, that are of our you know sections of the country, or even of our own countries, um, we will also be uh, changing part of that. You know, if if we're not depending to you know, be bringing cheese from New Zealand or be bringing you know other things from China, yeah, you know that also changes uh, how the economics change for everyone. It's awesome. What's like. 
What's awesome is people still, and I, and I just say it in the most simple way. It's like people still love tasty shit, man. <laughs> and then when you buy locally, you get the more tasty shit. And um, thank God we still get to choose what we eat. Um, lastly, I wanted to talk um, a tiny bit. You know, there, there are a lot of headlines about Russia these days. Uh, most of them aren't about cheese. Um, the growing cheese movement there may not be something, you know, that makes it to the front page. In 2014, President Putin banned European dairy products from import to Russia in reaction to sanctions from the EU. I remember traveling through Italy and seeing all of this cheese that had gone all the way into um, into Moscow. We were going to open up in um, in Italy in uh, in uh, in Russia, and all that cheese had gotten bounced all the way back to one of my producers in Tuscany, and it was fucking awful just to see all that come back through there. But then. I'm reading that Russians have stepped up, and I've read through with their own with their own little cheese production. In the meantime, and uh, is that true? And um, what what are they making over there? Yeah, it's it's fascinating. This is like something that you know if we were talking about it five years ago. We would have said like, no, of course there's not no <laughs> cheese in Russia, and now the explosion is huge. There was they're making an stuff. Event, an event in last year. Uh, just in the region of Moscow alone, that had a hundred cheese producers. Awesome. That were, and I see it everywhere. I don't read Russian, but you know, I'm I'm plugged in, and and now I'm getting all sorts of emails from them. We conducted a global cheese making survey last um, last year for the coalition. We have some results on our website, uh, and we got at least a hundred responses from. Russia, and what we're seeing is that not only they're making every single style, but they're also people that are paying a lot of attention to technique, a lot of attention to raw milk, a lot of attention Done. to animal husbandry. So it's really exciting what is happening there. And I think that, um, you know, we may start seeing uh, Russian cheese, maybe not in the I United think be States, awesome. but definitely in, in Europe, uh, we're going to start seeing it. Uh, soon enough. Well, I know um, they're buying they're buying equipment from Italy. Um, these pasta filata machines, um, it, so to, you know to, to spin curds because you know buffalo mozzarella and uh, pasta filata cheeses in general were w- super popular up there, um, and Italian cheese. And now they're just making their own, which I think is super cool. I like yeah, that. I think also what is so interesting is that, you know, there was a lot of cheesemakers that were, you know, maybe the second in line or the third in line in their facilities in Switzerland and, you know, in Spain and in um, Italy. Uh, you know, they were like, there's a senior cheesemonger and there's a junior cheesemonger. Sure. And these were like the people that, you know, were going to need to take another eight or ten years uh, to become senior cheese, cheese sorry, cheese maker, and they, these these are the kids that are moving to to, to, to Russia. Russia to make cheese there. So it's, it's also opening up a space for cheesemakers to travel, That's cool. to learn, to to advance. So it's not only people that you know just went back to the books and tried to come up with with the styles that they were making, but also you know a, a sort of movement of cheesemakers that are. Uh, training other cheesemakers there, I, I think it's fascinating. And, and one of the people that is uh, is very influential in in that movement is David Asher. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, he wrote that book, The Art um, of 
natural cheese, and it got translated into Russian, and a lot of people use it as a basis uh, to produce uh, to produce cheeses. And and I think that's fascinating that you know, they, this Canadian wrote this book, yeah. and then, you know, the Russians use it. I, I think it's a it's a wonderful global uh, life of cheese. That's amazing, and because cheese just binds us all together. I, it's 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 good stuff, man. I. I really love that, and and I'm, I think we're gonna we're gonna end on that because that's on a high note, and uh, I really I really think that's cool, man. I really think that's cool. I want to thank you so much, Carlos, for joining us on the show today, and I want everybody to pay attention to Raw Milk Appreciation Day and uh, and to Raw Milk Cheese in general. And if you don't know about the Old Ways Coalition, um, get into it because um, Carlos and his people do some pretty cool stuff over there, and it's important stuff. Take care, Carlos. We'll talk to you you soon. My pleasure. I'm Greg Blaze. We'll be back next week with more Cutting the Curd. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thank you.